Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. My name is Scott Mullins, Managing Director of Worldwide Financial Services, Business and Market Development at AWS. With me today is Sushan Tan, Managing Director and Group Head of Institutional Banking at DBS. Sushan, number one, it's great to see you again and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Listen, you have walked a very interesting path to become one of Asia's most respected and influential business leaders. And that, by the way, includes serving as a member of parliament in Singapore. Can you tell us a little bit about DBS, number one, your current role, and then your career? How did you get to where you are? Okay, so DBS was started 52 years ago by the Singapore government, essentially to develop Singapore. So our origins was the Development Bank of Singapore. Um, and, and that sort of purpose and ethos of developing countries, developing customers and creating, creating businesses, creating commerce and, and enabling uh, success and creating wealth uh, is, is, is a common um, purpose uh, on which we were built on. And as for me, well, I, I'm Singaporean, um, but I've, I've spent a lot of my working life overseas. I started um, my working life in, in London. I worked in Hong Kong, Tokyo, and I came back to Singapore. Like you, I, I started life in, uh, on the equity trading room. Um, I was an equity derivatives person in London for many years. So that was fun. Well, that's, that's, that's something I'm very proud of, I know, in my own career. And uh, I, I know you're, you're proud of that uh, experience in yours as, as well. Indeed, indeed. Hey, I'd like to start our conversation um, by talking about something else that you're proud of. You've mentioned it. Um, it's, the, it's the bank's digital platform. Um, and when we talk about digital innovation, uh, many people immediately talk about digital banking. Let's talk about the digital banking platform at DBS. Uh, that really is putting the customer at the center of the banking experience. Let's tell us about the customer experience. How does how does that create value for DBS? So let me just 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 bring you back. So DBS stood for the Development Bank of Singapore, as I said, given our roots of developing the country. Um, and and I often joke that it's now become the Digital Bank of Singapore. The D became digital. But if we get our jobs right and we really do a good job we will disappear uh, and will become the disappearing bank of Singapore. So DBS disappears into our customer's journey. We disappear into our customer's everyday lives. We just you know, go into their platforms, their UX, and you can't see us. It's like the Intel chip in your PC. It's there, it works, it's seamless, it's intuitive, but it disappears. So that, that's kind of um, you know, the, the, the vision that we had. Um, and really to get that vision uh, a, a reality, we had to do three things. And the first was restack the technology organization, right? Really go from monolithic legacy systems to microservices into the cloud. The second was to really change the culture of the bank. Now, you know, we, we often say strategy, I mean, culture eats strategy for breakfast and changing the culture of the bank. How do you create a startup culture in a company that has 28,000 people, right? So really, really going into that. And then last and very importantly, how do you get into the customer's everyday journey? How do you empathize with the customer? How do you disappear into their journeys? And so taking those three big themes was how we started to create our digital platform. Um, we set up on the customer journey side, the human-centered design laboratory, which really put us into the customer's eyes, 
mind, psychology, user experience. We had our customers come in, play with our UX, play with our applications. We looked if they could find stuff on the menu bar. We, we looked if they were upset, if they couldn't get stuff they wanted straight away. We figured out or asked them what they wanted. So the key was to get the customer immersion right. Uh, I'm wearing red today, Scott because, well, DBS colors are red and black. But when we started on this customer journey, we said we want to be red. And what does red stand for? Red stands for respect. It stands for easy to deal with. And it stands for dependable, right? You want to be respectful of your customers. You don't want to encroach them and, 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 and you know, go, go too far with privacy or, or anything like that. But you want to be respectful. It's a very Asian culture. We're an Asian bank, so be respectful. And in fact, we now have uh, one of our, 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 our brand themes is live more bank less. And that speaks to the idea of disappearing into the customer's everyday life so that you can live your life more and you can bank less, right? So that's the ethos of customer journey. Many people like to, they like to attach kind of fancy terms um, to to what you've done, which is to basically focus on customers and to obsess over your customers. Obviously, that resonates with us uh, at AWS and Amazon because um, one of our leadership principles is customer obsession. So um, you're you're definitely um, singing our song. Um, but you know, a lot of times, this is called hyper personalization. Um, where we're looking at customers and we're trying to, to make sure um, that we're doing our level best uh, to, uh, to uh, really serve them. Tell us more about this effort that you have to become really the disappearing or invisible bank, as I've heard it called. What, what does that mean as you look down the road? What does that mean from the standpoint of DBS? So it means that we will start becoming a lot more intuitive. I think we're on our journey. Uh, it, it will be it will be a constant sort of quest to, to keep improving. Um, but it starts with, as I said, the customer experience. But it also starts with the data that we collect. It means having to put all your data in a data lake, make it metadata, make it understandable, and and creating insights from this data that's useful as a feedback loop. Uh, to create these contextual nudges, as we call it, so that we can go from n equals you know 100,000 to n equals 10,000 to n equals 1,000 to n equals 1. n equals 1 is that hyper-personalization that you talk about, right? Which you guys are so good at, uh, which is what we want to be. Well, that look, that, that focus on customers and that willingness to experiment, uh, it's paying off. Uh, last year, the bank was recognized for serving customers in their time of need. Obviously, uh, we had a, a year like um, hardly any others, at least no others that we've experienced in our lifetime, uh, based on the, the pandemic that we're currently even still experiencing. How did you balance between serving your customers and then also taking care of your own organization? So when COVID hit, it was always, you know, em, you know employees first, customers first, and let's just do the right thing. That overarching sense of doing the right thing and being purposeful uh, was, was, was our true north. Um, and so when COVID hit, we were one of the first banks that, that had our first COVID case. In fact, we were the first bank to have our first COVID case in Singapore. It was just get everyone home, get everyone safe, make sure everyone is safe. And then let's look after the customers, you know, customers who previously only dealt with paper and checks and cash. We had to teach them how to digitize literally overnight, right? So our people and our tech business partners worked in overdrive. And what would have taken us, I think, a year or a year and a half 
to really roll out, we rolled out in, in six weeks. So trade documents, which have always been very paper-based, became digitalized right overnight. When China um, had all their, their, their issues around trade and, 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 and the ports were disrupted, as you know, this time last year, we were one of the first to, to bring OCR in, uh, uh, digitize all the trade so that PPE could get in and get out, so that medical supplies could get in and get out. So it was just kind of quick pivot, right? You know, if, if you're agile and, and you're open to experimentation and you're guided by this culture of doing the right thing, you know, magic happens, right? You, you, you just know what's the right thing to do. You can, you can get everyone together and, and, and create that spirit of um, can do and do it with a purpose. And, and I think that's what binds us together through tough times, like what we've gone through last year. Well, th those are some powerful examples uh, of how you've uh, not only put customers first, but also your own people. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Listen, a, a lot of what you said um, as, you were, as you were talking, I just kept thinking, man, those, those are some problems uh, that probably needed um, some deep analysis, but also some quick analysis. Uh, I know you guys um, think uh, uh, very much like we do that um, financial institutions and specifically banks um, and retail facing organizations uh, are lucky uh, in that they do have a lot of data at their disposal in order to actually um, solve uh, problems for customers. Uh, I'd love to just spend a, a, a few minutes talking about you know, how DBS is leveraging uh, data and analytics to actually improve the customer experience. You're right. I think banks have this treasure trove of, of customer data that I think a lot of companies would kill for. Uh, you, you know, we know a lot about our customers. Uh, and in the past, I don't think we optimized this and I don't think we used it, we put it into as good a use as, as we should and can do. Um, but the way to do it is to really train our employees to understand how to use this data, how to recognize patterns. And to that, I want to give you guys a shout out. So uh, last year during the COVID lockdown, we all downloaded the AWS Deep Racer. Um, and we learned how machine learning um, and, and, and AI and machine learning helps um, to, to, to help us make better, sharper decisions around the data that we have. Um, so if you can learn to, to drive a virtual car around a racetrack faster and quicker with data, you sure as heck can learn how to look after your customers better with the right use of data. The overarching ethos around how we use our data is we're guided by what we call the, princi the pure principle, so P-U-R-E. So what does pure stand for? So the P in pure stands for purposeful. So there must be a purpose behind how we use, how we use uh, the data. Is it relevant to the customer? When we send them a contextual nudge, was it relevant to them? Did it make their lives better? Was it a good offer for them, etc. And then the U stands for unsurprising. So they can't be surprised to get that nudge or that, that, that you know, the offer from you because you thought about it and it wasn't of, of a surprise. And the R has to be respectful. So it, it shows a respect. We're not using data we don't need and, and we don't use that. If it's something that we need to do and we do it in a respectful way, unobtrusive way, then the R is for respect. And the E stands for explainable. You can explain why you use the data the way you used it. And it's not embarrassing to anyone. So those are the pure principles on which we work towards in our data governance policy. I think you have articulated a very simple, easy to understand data governance policy 
that also captures uh, in the acronym that you've given um, what should be the intentions around using uh, very sensitive information that's related to customers. So congratulations on being able to encapsulate that uh, for your teams uh, in a very in a very simple but powerful uh, message for them. Sushan, uh, speaking of teams, I'm so glad we've come to this point because DBS, a 52-year-old company in an industry that can often be considered uh, old-fashioned or traditional um, or stuck in its ways, uh, if we're if we're brutally honest, um, you have actually previously said that changing the culture was one of the toughest things to do, and you actually mentioned it uh, when we started our conversation. Let's dive into it. How did you and your teams do that? Tell us about some of the hardest things and the biggest shifts that you had to make and address. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it starts from the top and really bringing to the forefront all the new experimentation that we were doing and sharing both successes and failures. In fact, we knew that it was really important, especially in an Asian cultural context, to, to, to not be afraid of failure. You know, here in Singapore, we have a, a concept called kiasu, which is scared to lose, scared to fail. Um, and so how do we kind of overcome that deep cultural mindset of not wanting to fail? So we said, heck, why don't we just celebrate failure? Why don't we have the failure awards, which um, really celebrated people who dared to ask for money, right? You know, you dared to ask the boss for money. You did that experiment. It failed spectacularly. But what did we learn from it? And, and how can you get better next time? Hey, great job. Here's the award, right? So celebrating those moments um, and, and having, you know, rituals. So when you want to change the culture of a, of a firm that's this old and this big, you really have to have rituals and they have to be simple rituals that anyone can follow. Uh, so the customer centricity one was a ritual. Hey, remember, be red, right? Respectful, easy to deal with, dependable. And then we also had meeting mojos, M-O-J-O. -O. What's a meeting mojo? Well, the M-O is the meeting organizer. So if you're the meeting organizer, you're the mo, right? So it's your job to make that meeting a good one a happy meeting, if you will. And the Joe, the Joe is the joyful observer. So that's someone who, who kind of, you know, looks around at the meeting and, and Joe can say, hey, hang on, Mo. Um, you know, you've been talking a lot and I think we should open the floor to people who haven't said anything to say something. Um, and then we have the raccoon moments. A raccoon is spelled W-R-E-C-K-O-O-N. So someone who wrecks stuff. So if you're going to wreck an idea, it's okay because you say, um, hello, I'm going to be a raccoon here. And we go, okay, here we go, wreck it. And you wreck it, right? And it's okay to wreck it because you ask for a raccoon moment. So I think all these little rituals will slowly but surely change the culture of the, of, of the bank because it changes the way we work. It changes, changes the way we think. It makes it okay to ask the dumb questions. It makes it okay uh, to disagree with the boss. It makes it okay to, to experiment and fail. And I think when you have these kind of areas of psychological safety around what you do and how you do things as a team, you do change the culture. I love that you guys make it psychologically safe for people to experiment um, and to really look at risk in a different way. And I think in financial services, obviously it's a risk management business. Um, and I appreciate that you allow people to feel comfortable um, looking at risk in a different way and approaching it in a different way. I think that's a that's a hallmark 
uh, for being able to actually um, innovate. Anything that comes to mind for you uh, on the on the experimental side that didn't work? Uh, so in 2014, my team wanted to experiment with AI for wealth management. So creating an AI with a big company uh, and um, using uh, the AI to recommend to, to 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 have a recommendation engine for all our clients, and it wasn't it was really difficult. Um, and honestly, I think at the end of the day we failed. We we didn't roll it out to customers. We experimented a lot internally, uh, and we experimented with clients. But you know, getting a machine to answer a customer's questions on should I should I buy Tesla or should I buy, you know, Apple stock or where's the dollar yen going or where's sterling going? I mean, it was really difficult because the answers had to be contextual, you know, how long, when, is that an overnight question? Is that a, is that time frame a year, a month? And, and it had to fit in with what the customer wanted. And frankly, you didn't know if you were going to be right or wrong. So it wasn't deterministic. And so I think the use case that we had in that instance was wrong. But we, we, we allowed the experiment to happen because I think the team learned so much then about machine learning and the use of AI, fasting, natural language processing. Uh, I learned a lot from that failure. Uh, and the same team that's still with us, are now helping us with 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 machine learning and 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 data analytics and I think that's great and I think part of this journey is also learning making that judgment call on when to say no and when to say yes um, and 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 the decisioning process and that raccooning process if you will um, you know needs to be refined along the way but you need to fail to learn that, right? You need to sometimes take one step back to take two steps forward. Uh, and that's what we've done. Well, so speaking of things that, uh, that we, we make better, um, what, what's next for the bank? What are you most excited about at DBS or what's got your interest right now? Well, I think there's so much that's, that's, that's going on I th- that's exciting. Um, well, from, from a kind of a big picture viewpoint, IoT and 5G will change the way a lot of our customers uh, and industry works. Uh, the blockchain is exciting. Uh, so there are some big sort of um, environmental changes that, that's happening as well. ESG uh, and, and the focus on doing the right thing um, and, and, and being obsessed not just with the customer, but also obsessed with impact and outcomes, uh, creating value uh, that not necessarily results in ROE, but results in real value to, 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 to customers and to the environment uh, and to society at large. I think that speaks to us. And I think all that's pretty exciting in terms of the big picture changes that's upon us that we're working around. Um, closer to home, I guess, you know, we are taking that whole data analytics and understanding of data into insights and the constant feedback loop to the next level. Uh, we're moving our, 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 you know, the organization into more agile, horizontal groups, getting, taking that customer journey focus to the next level, going from good to great and, and, and making sure that whole sort of creativity and, 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 and experimentation continues to percolate and become bigger than it is today. Well, look, I, th- I think you've you've outlined many things that are top of mind uh, for financial institutions as, as you look forward uh, and you talk about the things that you're interested in. And I appreciate you giving us insights uh, into what you're thinking about and how you're thinking about them. You know, 
And, and everything you mentioned um, in, in some capacity uh, ties back to digital. And um, if, if you look at you know, anything that's come out uh, recently, uh, you know, digital is top of mind for everybody. In fact, you know, Gartner mentioned recently that 66% of financial services leaders believe that their role's digital competency gap is widening relative to the pace of evolving technology. What, what's the bank's take on this? And how are you preparing the workforce to meet the emerging requirements of digital transformation? It's learned by doing, as I said, but it's also enabling all 28,000 people to get access to this learning in, in bite sciences that's understandable and, and, and digestible for everybody. So we've rolled out sort of a lot of um, online training, you know, what's an API and, and, and bite sizes, so easy to understand. Um, we've, we've rolled out go back to school. So uh, my, my tech lead and I have organized a lot of go back to school sessions. So even if you're an MD, hey, it's okay to go back to school, learn, spend a day learning with us. And um, also, you know, bringing in people um, that would inspire us and, and, and talk to us. So we do a lot of stuff with you guys. Uh, we do stuff with technology companies. We bring in people who would show us a whole new way of working. Uh, and, and, and as I said, constant experimentation. So we had this studio that I, I'm sitting in um, a, a month ago was our 5G uh, IoT demo room, right? Which we, we worked with, uh, with a telco to figure out uh, how to use 5G in warehousing or in, 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 in our ATM so that it could, you have a pop-up ATM anywhere. Uh, and, and so bringing those experiments to life and, and having our, our, our colleagues come in and play with the, play with the technology and use it. As you, as you think about that, that culture of constant learning, how, how much of a competitive advantage do you see that as uh, for, for DBS uh, in region and around the world? Huge, Scott. I think, you know, that attitude and that openness to learning, you know, making mistakes, learning, learning, failing fast and learning, is, is important in, in all aspects of life. And in fact, I think it's important in education today. It's important in commerce today. It's important in politics. It's important in society because technology is changing at a pace that you know, the human mind is not, you know, will, will find it difficult to keep keeping up because, you know, the machine learning and AI, Moore's law, quantum computing, things are going to change really quick. And so it's that adaptability quotient, right? We used to talk about IQ and EQ. We now talk about AQ, the adaptability quotient, the attitude uh, and, and the ability to learn and to fail. I think it's a huge advantage for any organization or, or anybody for that matter. You've been very proactive in helping women succeed in the industry uh, for much of your career. What advice would you give to women aspiring to take on leadership uh, positions uh, in banking or in the financial services industry more broadly? So I will tell them to not just manage their inbox, but to manage their outbox, right? My, my CEO likes to talk about this. And um, like it or not, women, particularly women in Asia, do still carry a heavy load for the family. And during COVID, a lot of women um, had to do both, look after the kids and look after their parents, uh, aging parents, especially in an Asian context. But the good news is with COVID and everyone working from home, both moms and dads, I think it, 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 it kind of equalized a lot of that uh, as well. And it was okay for, for, for the dad to, to, to work from home. It was okay for dad to pick up kids from school or do the grocery shopping or the cooking. So I would encourage women to manage their careers and their trajectory more and to be not afraid to, to, to have those conversations with your seniors 
or your boss's boss and say, hey, how am I doing? What do I need to do to get to the next level? I need to take time, some time out, but is, you know, can I use the flexible work arrangements I have, but still keep on the career ladder? And how can you help me to keep on the career ladder whilst I still have to do flexi work, etc.? Thank you for sharing that, Shushan. And then would you mind also sharing with us some of the current initiatives uh, that you're working on that enable women? And then maybe what you'd also like to see in the future? So about uh, 19 years ago, I started what's called the Financial Women's Association in Singapore. It was a Singapore chapter. Um, and it was really to help women in banking or financial services uh, with their professional careers, especially as some of them were leaving to have children uh, and, and needed a, a leg in to get back into, into the workplace or needed a network to help them or needed professional coaching or, or technical learnings. Um, and, and they just needed a network to, 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 to help to, to, to grow their, their careers or to have a mentor. And I, I'm very proud because that has now grown to something really big and it's become a, a great network for women in finance to get ahead. Uh, I'm no longer running it, but it's bigger and better than, than when I was, which is great. And so we're helping a lot of uh, these young women uh, by providing their mentors, by providing them opportunities, making sure, I mean, I know at DBS, we always look at the, the, the gender equation. We actually have more women than men in DBS today. Uh, and we have a, a very high share of women now at the top as well. Um, so I'm lucky. I mean, my CEO and my chairman are great advocate, advocates for women leadership. Um, and, and I'm grateful for that. And, and so having male champions, uh, my chairman and my CEO are male, but they are male champions, uh, for women leadership. So at the MC, the management committee at the Exco, the fair amount of women at the board, there's a fair amount of women. So it's making it easier for them to move up the career whilst balancing families and, and making it okay. Uh, and, and saying, well, at times you just have to leave a meeting and, and go back, pick up your son or daughter and we'll say, well, it's okay. If you need to do that, do it. Uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing uh, that perspective with us and the initiatives that you're working on uh, to support women in the industry. Uh, and I also want to say thank you, Shushan, for, for sitting down and sharing with us uh, and for being open uh, about your own career, about what you're working on uh, at DBS and how you're working on things at DBS. I think that's been very insightful uh, for anybody uh, that will tune into our conversation. I want to thank you uh, and the bank for your partnership uh, with us on behalf of everyone here at AWS. Uh, and personally, I also want to thank you for your friendship. It's always a wonderful opportunity to sit down and visit with you. Thank you for joining us for Conversations with Leaders. Thank you, Scott. It's been a real pleasure.